morning, Edinburgh. How are we? It's going to be a great day here. I believe that. And um, <clears throat> if you are a guest, I, I do want to give you a warm welcome as well. We're glad you're with us. Um, and uh, those of you watching online, we're glad you're tuned in as well. I, I will give you a heads up for those of you tuned in online that we're going to be taking communion together as a church. And I really encourage you to find something comparable to the, to the, 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 the bread and the grape juice uh, so that we can uh, all take communion together, even if you're not with us in person today. Um, but uh, we are kicking off a new series, uh, as you heard, called Strange Things. And uh, over the next five weeks, we're going to be dealing with these five topics, uh, these things that we do in the church that if we really step back and think about it, are in fact very strange. Um, in fact, I would argue that part of the problem is that we have forgotten or maybe lost touch with how strange these things we do in the church really are. They've become so normalized for many of us um, that they've, they've unfortunately just become tradition or ritual. And therefore, we have missed out or will be missing out on what they can do for us, the benefits that come um, through these things that we're going to be talking about. Next week, we're going to be talking about baptism, for example. Um, and uh, yes, it's true. We might have our biggest baptism, uh, the most people getting baptized that we've had uh, next week. There's the potential for that. And so I'm going to encourage you to be here next week, next Sunday, uh, as we get ready. And then that, that evening, go out and, and get to experience baptism and celebrate that with those individuals. Um, we're going to talk about things like, why do we sing songs? Okay, in church. If you really think about it, you don't do that in a lot of places. That's kind of strange. Um, but we need to understand these, these things because if we don't know what to, to do with them, if we don't know what the significance of them uh, is, we, we won't know how to be blessed by them. We won't know how to be uh, transformed uh, by them. If you don't know what something is, you won't know what to do with it, Right? Kind of like, um, you know, a Packers fan with a toothbrush, right? If you... <laughs> Scratch. Okay, that was wrong. I apologize. We love... It's already starting. It's getting ready for preseason here. Okay. We love you, Packers fans. Um, but, but if we don't understand what something is, you understand you're not going to know how to be blessed. And I, I'm concerned that for many of us, these things have just become ritual. They've just become tradition. And you're missing out on how God wants to use these things to bless and prosper your life. I, I'm certainly no prosperity uh, teacher, uh, but I do believe God wants to prosper us all spiritually. And I believe that when we experience that spiritual prosperity, it does overflow into all kinds of other areas of our life. It can, in our marriages, our families, uh, it can bless us, it can bless us physically. A lot of times, not all the time, but even physical ailments that many of us experience, it's because there is a spiritual issue behind it. If you read the Bible, you will see that. Our finances. Doesn't mean God's going to give you a lot. What it means is he'll take the little you have and do a lot with it. This is what happens when we get the spiritual blessing that God wants to pour out on us. And he gives us these things as a church to do so that he can bless us, prosper us spiritually through these things. And we're talking about a very important topic this morning, which is the topic of communion. 
the topic of, of communion, something God wants to richly bless each and every one of us with. In fact, communion is, I would argue, necessary for us taking steps towards healing and wholeness in our life. If you've been around uh, for just a little bit, you know that here at Edinburgh, we, we take communion uh, once a month. We generally do it on the first Sunday of, of every month. Um, sometimes, every once in a while, somebody will ask me, like, why don't we do it, you know, weekly? And I'll just tell you, uh, talk to a lot of pastors, a lot of churches that have gone, tried to do the weekly thing. The, the problem with weekly is, is eventually it, it, it kind of has to get forced into the service. Things come up and it, it, it doesn't get the necessary time and attention it deserves. So it's just something you've got to kind of get through because you've committed yourself to doing it weekly. And I want you to know when we do communion here at Edinburgh, we don't necessarily talk about it from the get-go, but the service and the message, everything is is geared up towards preparing our hearts for communion. In fact, the one time where you might see us change the week communion is on is if we feel like it's going to be forced or it's just going to get thrown into the service and we got to get through to it, we'll usually move it so that the message and, and, and worship will better align. So we feel like once a, a, a month is, is a good balance. Some churches don't do it. Uh, even that often. Uh, for me personally, that's just my opinion, I would, I would struggle with that. I believe communion is something we need to do on a, on a, on a pretty regular uh, uh, basis. Uh, if you grew up um, in a different tradition, say uh, maybe Catholic, you know that there's different views uh, on, on, on communion. Uh, Catholics, for example, believe in something called transubstantiation. Uh, there's a fancy word for you. And they believe that, um, that, that the wafer and the, the, the wine that they use, they use wine, literally becomes, uh, after the priest prays for it, the body and uh, the blood of Jesus. That it's literally the body and blood that you are eating. And they take that because the Bible says, this is my body, this is my blood. Uh, I went to a Catholic church one time and I watched them do it and I thought it was pretty cool. They, the, the priest held a cup, and everybody came down and drank from the same cup. And the priest would wipe the brim, and then the next person would, I don't know how they did that during COVID. <laughs> All right, I don't know if you pulled down your mask to drink from everybody else's cup and then put in your mask. I don't know how they did that, but there was something profound about it. There was something um, that I think we can even learn about that idea of community, and we're all drinking and unified um, through, through the body and the blood. Of Jesus, But transubstantiation is kind of the, the general view of the Catholic Church. Lutherans, if you grew up Lutheran, uh, you might not have heard this, but they believe in something called consubstantiation, uh, uh, um, which is the, the idea that the essence of Christ uh, is in the, the elements. It doesn't literally change into the body and the blood, but his essence is in here. So you are, in a sense, literally taking the essence of Christ uh, into you. Consubstantiation. Um, and then you have maybe more the Baptist and non-denominational uh, view, which is the view we take, which is simply that it's, it's symbolic. The wafer and the grape juice. We use grape juice, by the way, just because, you know, we know people struggle with alcoholism, and uh, so we don't want to, you know, be a, we don't want that to be a snare for anybody. Um, by the way, some of the traditions that use wine, for example, uh, Catholics, there's a history of if you believe it literally becomes the blood of Jesus, you can't just throw the, <laughs> you can't just throw the wine out after the service. And so the priest, and it, 
led to some problems, historically speaking. So we go with grape juice because we just believe it's the symbol Symbol, symbol, that Jesus is, is, is being symbolic. But here, here's, what I want you, here's what I want you to hear. To me, these different views, whether it really becomes this flesh and blood, whether it's the essence or whether it's just symbolism, for me, it's all trivial. That's not what we should be, uh, you know, uh, arguing about. What matters is that when we come to this table, we come to it with faith. Understanding its significance and what it can do for us. When we come to this table through faith, regardless of our view, it has the power to transform our lives. To help us start taking steps towards healing and being made whole. Now, I do believe we should come to the table with a respect. Every once in a while, somebody will come up to me and say, "Uh, can we do communion uh, with some donuts and Dr. Pepper this week? If it's just symbolic, usually a youth pastor, okay? <laughs> then, uh, no, that's where I draw the line. It is symbolic. But let me say this. If you were on an island and all you had were donuts and Dr. Pepper, let me say two things. First off, you're going to die. <laughs> okay, secondly, if you prayed for it and came to it with faith, because you wanted to celebrate communion, God would smile upon that. And a more maybe practical scenario would be, say, you're on a mission trip somewhere or somewhere where you can't get bread, cracker, or grape juice or wine. God would smile if you came to it with faith because that's what ultimately matters, that we understand the significance of what we're doing and receive the elements with faith. Communion has been also called the Lord's Supper. It's called the Eucharist, which comes from the Greek word meaning to give thanks. That's one of the things we're doing. We take communion. But it all centers around one event, okay? That's where it, the history of communion comes from. There's multiple accounts, but I'm going to read from the account of Matthew. And this takes place at the Last Supper. So the Lord's Supper comes out of the Last Supper. We read about this in Matthew 26. While the disciples were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, meaning the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so this is at the Lord or the Last Supper, which of course is, is the Passover feast. And I don't have time to get into the Passover feast today. I encourage you to research it on your own. But Jesus, of course, is the Passover lamb. He is the ultimate fulfillment of what the Passover lamb was all about. Um, that brings us peace with with God. He was going to be the ultimate sacrifice, so that's why today we don't have to keep sacrificing animals, okay? Jesus has brought us into that new covenant where he is the ultimate and last and final sacrifice that's sufficient to give us peace before before God. And at this feast, Jesus is going to take it a step farther, okay? He's going to introduce this thing that we now call communion, where he's going to take the bread and he's going to say, this is my body, 
eat this. And this is my blood, and he's going to pass the wine around and say, drink this. And I just want to ask you a question. Do you think that that might have been a little weird for the disciples? Jesus saying, eat my body, drink my blood. Do you think that might have been a little strange? It would have been. It would have been really, really strange. In fact, this isn't the first time Jesus brings up this idea of communion. He was trying to get his disciples ready for this idea of communion because he knew how strange it would be. Uh, You might not know this, but in the early church, Christians were persecuted in part for taking communion. Uh, Because outsiders would come into the church and the priest or pastor would get up and say, uh, this is the body of Christ, eat it. This is the blood of Christ, drink it. And those people would be like, what is going on here? And they would walk out and they started telling others, those people are cannibals. And one of the reasons the early Christians were arrested and thrown into the Colosseum and fed to lions was because the Roman citizens believed they were cannibals because of this practice of communion. This is a strange, strange thing that we we do. And so Jesus, earlier in his ministry, trying to prepare his disciples, uh, even had this, this event take place. We read about this in John 6.51. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is what? It's my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, this is very important for us. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. Let me say something about that word, that concept of eternal life. There's been a lot of oversimplification about this idea of eternal life. Eternal life is not just talking about the quantity of life we live, meaning we live forever. That is part of it. It's also talking about the quality of life. Eternal life is something we experience and can experience today. Verse 55, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Wow. Next verse. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? See, he's talking to the Jewish people here, and and you got to understand, for the Jewish people, drinking blood, even of an animal, made them unclean. The idea of eating even uh, certain kinds of animals, the flesh, uh, made them unclean. Uh, Bacon, for example, all right, which is, in part, while I'm Glad to be a Gentile, amen, okay? But this would be, this would have made them almost sick to their stomach as they're hearing Jesus say, you're supposed to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And then we read this, verse 60, on hearing it, many, um, uh, or uh, uh, verse 66, 
From that time on, many of his disciples turned back, and listen to this, no longer walked with him. Jesus actually lost many of his followers the day he, he, he started preparing them for this, this strange act of eating his body and drinking his blood. But did you catch that? Unless you do it, you can't have life in you. Unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood. Jesus is saying you're not going to have life in you. Why? Let me just give us a couple of reasons, okay, why communion is so important for us. Why this is necessary for our Christian walk and our Christian journey. I could certainly mention many things, but I want to focus on two things this morning. And here's the first reason. The first is because it brings us closeness with Jesus. There's not something you can do to make you more close to something or someone than eating their body and drinking their blood, as gross as that sounds. But I hope you're capturing the intimacy in that. Jesus giving himself for us to eat and drink. There is an intimacy in taking him into our lives. And I think a lot of Christians are Christians, but they're missing out on experiencing intimacy, closeness with Jesus. You're still a Christian, but you're missing out on the benefits that come from being close to him and having that intimate relationship. Just like if you're married, you understand this. You can be married legally, but be missing out on the intimacy that comes with that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're like legally married, but there's not a lot of intimacy in, in your marriage. And I don't know about you, I, I, I don't just want the responsibilities of marriage, I want the intimacy that comes with marriage. Can, can I get an amen, men? Okay, so, so like this past year, Danielle and I, we had a little bit of a disagreement. And our um, intimacy suffered for it. She wanted to, we, we couldn't decide on what color to paint our walls. And she, she wanted to paint them white, dove white to be specific. I wanted to go with the color that was already on there, which was free. So she wanted to pay to paint her. I didn't want to do anything. And we did not see eye to eye. And uh, for a little while, it was a little cold there. Okay, in fact, one night in bed, I just wanted to be close to my wife, and I, I just wanted to, like, pull her close, and I reached over, and guys, it was like sticking your hand into the cold tundra of Antarctica. I uh, was worried I wasn't going to get my hand back, all right? It was so, there wasn't a lot of intimacy, so what did I, so I repented, <laughs> turned from my ways, and we ended up painting the walls dove white. Now, let me say two things about that, Okay. We, you know, she, we were upset with one another through this argument. She was not weaponizing sex. I just want to say that. It's not healthy. And she was actually right. Dub White looks great, okay? And in 400 more payments, we'll have it paid off. But, um, <laughs> but it does actually really look good. But, guys, I, I want intimacy with my wife. Amen? 
I want that intimacy. You want to be happy? You want to be right? Okay, no. Um, Now, the same is true in our relationship with God. We all know there are things that get in the way of our intimacy with Christ. That's why when we come to the Lord's table, one of the things we need to do, if there's anything that needs to be confessed, if there's anything you need to turn from, it is a great time to do that because you're saying, Jesus, I want to be close to you. I want that intimacy with you. I want to know your heart. Who wants the responsibilities of Christianity without getting the benefits that come from being connected intimately with, with Christ and the blessings that flow from that. And so when we come to the communion table, it's a great time if we need to repent. It's never God's fault. It's never God never is the one who gets in the way of it. It's, it's us. And, and so that's one of the reasons we confess and we repent is because we want to experience that intimacy. And that's, that's the good news. He gave his body. He gave up his blood so that any sin we can be washed clean, forgiven of. And that relationship restored. He offers us that this morning. But the second reason why we do communion builds off of this, this closeness with Jesus, which is it gives us spiritual life. It gives us spiritual life when we take communion, okay? In fact, I was looking up um, some definitions of, uh, of, of, of communion, and, and this is a secular definition, which, by the way, I found uh, kind of offers us, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure a lot of us Christians uh, even, even understand this. I, this. This secular definition gets it right, um, in my opinion. Listen to this. Communion is the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. Did you catch that? What are we doing when we commune with Christ? We are literally sharing and exchanging intimate thoughts and feelings with Jesus. Let me just say this. The closest that I think we can get to Jesus while here on earth before we see him face to face is at the Lord's table. Because it is at the Lord's table when we take communion where we are literally sharing his thoughts and his feelings in the most intimate way we can. Do you, are you catching this? This is not just thinking on Jesus. This is not just thinking on a Bible verse and what it means for your life. This is literally sharing thoughts and exchanging feelings with Christ who sits in heaven right now. That is something you and I get to do when we come to the Lord's table. Did, I know many of us who, who have grown up in the West, we don't think about these things. But, but did you realize your heart has the ability to do this, to connect with others, to connect with people, to connect with Jesus? Uh, I, I know uh, I have friends um, who the, the husband was on the 35 bridge when it collapsed. And the wife was just sitting at home minding her own business when all of a sudden she just got hit with a wave of anxiety and she knew something was wrong. Turns on her TV, sees the 35 bridges collapse, and sure enough, her husband was on that bridge. She knew. Why? Because they were connected. Their souls had mingled and they were connected. Do you understand when we come to the Lord's table, that's what's happening. Our souls are mingling with Jesus. Do you know who the most joy-filled person is? in the world is. It's Jesus. Do you know who the most loving person in the world is? It's Jesus. Do you know who the most peaceful, peace-filled person in the world is? 
Amen, brother. I'm glad somebody's with me this morning. He's not biting his nails. He's in heaven reigning supreme with confidence and excited for what he's doing and the mission that's going forth and what's going to come from it. All-powerful, all-knowing, sitting in heaven, and he invites you to come and mingle your soul with him. That ought to get you a little excited. Because what happens is if our souls mingle, here's what happens. Just like when the person you're married to, you understand. You start to become like that person. You start to look more and more like this, being transformed from one degree of glory to another as your soul mingles with Jesus. His joy becomes your joy. His love becomes your love. His peace becomes your peace. And you start being conformed to the image of Christ. That happens at communion. I don't know about you. I need a little more joy in my life. Amen? I need a little more peace. I need more love. You know what I need? I need more life. And Jesus is the one who gives us life. And so I come to the table to receive the life, the eternal life that only Christ can can give as as I take him in. As I meditate on him. That word remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not a... Just a cognitive thing, guys. It, the, the Greek word there, it's the idea of connecting your heart with someone who's not necessarily there present physically with you. We connect our heart with Jesus who's in heaven right now, and it can bless your life. You know, many of us are sitting at the wrong table. And if I were to be honest, I, I've, I've made this mistake too. And I'm talking about the table of the world. There is another table. It's the table of the world. And the table of the world, the devil, he, he offers you all kinds of amazing things to feast on at that table. I want you to imagine with me, you know, on this table is ribeyes, ribs, bacon. All right, can you tell I'm not a vegetarian here? If you're a vegetarian, I don't know what your fantasy is. I, lentils, <laughs> beans, whatever your little fantasy is, <laughs> vegetarian. But the devil, he puts that in front of you. He says, like, table, eat. And you know what I'm talking about here, guys? I'm talking about those idols. I'm talking about those things. It could be money. It could be sex. It could be not things that are necessarily bad, but when you think you're going to draw life from them, and he puts it, he says, these things will give you life. Make these ultimate in your life. These things will give you life. But here's the problem. It's going to do either two things. Either you're going to eat it and you're going to feast on it and there's not going to be any nutrients in it for your soul and it's going to leave you empty. Or even worse and more likely, it's going to be rotten to the core. It's going to have maggots in it and you're going to eat it and it's going to leave you sick. And I can't help but wonder how many of us come in here today and we are empty and sick because we've been eating at Satan's table. The good news is Jesus says, I give you another table. I give you a table that will bring nutrients into your life. I give you a table that will satisfy. It might not look as fancy as the table that Satan's put in front of you, but this table, friends, will fill your soul and give you eternal life. And this morning, we get an opportunity to eat and drink at that table and take that life into us. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, Last Supper, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Did you catch that? Friends, we proclaim his death. Who are you proclaiming his death to? You might think to each other, you might think the preacher's proclaiming it to us. Friends, do you realize when we come to the Lord's table, we are proclaiming Jesus' death to the devil. Jesus is the victor that through his death and resurrection conquered sin, conquered death, conquered hell for you and me. And when we come to the table, we say, see this, Satan? Ha! You have lost. Jesus is the victor and he has given this victory to us through his table where we can draw close to him and receive life in him today. What can you do to me? I have the blood and the flesh of my Jesus. And therefore, I will live. Your table's been defeated because Christ's table is greater. <laughs> and friends, so that we get an opportunity to proclaim, proclaim this, this death this victory that you and I have by coming to the Lord's table today. And so I feel like it would be good for us to, to maybe first enter into a, a time of prayer. And so I'm going to ask you, would you just bow your heads with me? We do give thanks, Jesus. Oh, you are the victor, only possible because of your death and burial and resurrection an ascension where you now reign, the victor over it all. Anything tormenting us, anything plaguing us, anything making us sick, anything leaving us empty, Jesus, you've conquered it all and you can give us all life this morning through your, through your table. And so some of us, Lord, we need to just spend a, a, a moment here just getting right with you. And I just want to give you, church, a moment. If there's anything you need to confess, anything you need to turn from, just take a moment to confess that to Jesus and do that. Yes, Jesus, we want, we want to experience that intimacy with you today. We want to walk out of here feeling close to you today. We also want to walk out of here with your life in us. So God, through this, we pray over the elements that would we receive that life that only you can give that comes from heaven, that comes from your resurrected self, living in us, more love, more joy, more peace in our hearts, just to look more like you. As we know, Jesus, we will have to do this again because just as we get hungry physically, we get hungry again spiritually. But today, I'm praying you would fill us. Fill us, fill us with your presence. Maybe there's some of us in here experiencing depression or anxiety. God, I just pray, use this time to fill us with your joy, overflowing. Help us in that pursuit, Lord. And so we're going to proclaim your death. We have victory. We have victory in your name.
All God's people said, amen. So let's, let's take the wafer. Just peel back that top layer. didn't get one, by the way. I see some hands going up. Jim. I'm going to give you guys a moment. as I said in the prayer, we do this on an ongoing basis because just like we become hungry physically, guys, this is something we got to do. It's got something we got to do on an ongoing basis. This is to sustain and to help you live out the Christian walk that Jesus has called you to. I don't know how you do it without the Lord's table. So I'm glad you're here this morning. Those of you online, I hope you've got something so you can take this with us. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. Mm, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Fill us, Lord. You peel back that second layer, you'll get to the grape juice. This is his blood poured out. So any sin in your life, it can be forgiven. You walk out of here clean today. I, I, I want to be clean, amen? amen? I like to be clean. Thank you, Jesus, for making me clean. I feel better when I'm clean. Anyone else? I want to be intimate. I want to have that closeness with you, Jesus. So thank you that you cleanse us and, and, and from all unrighteousness by your blood. And so you told us, Jesus, that this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of many sins. We say thank you, Jesus, as we drink together as a church and do this in remembrance of you. All right, and pray one more time again, Lord. Woo! <laughs> this is one of those messages that makes me say, Woo, anybody else? <laughs> Alone? Christ, we want more of you. Let us walk out of here today and be blessed by what we have heard, what we have done. And now as we turn our hearts to worshiping you, God, may it come from a place of sincerity, thanking you for the life that we have, the victory we have in your name. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen.